CLS is go for main engine, start. Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. Hello, friends. Welcome to Off Nominal with a very special guest host. Of two special guest hosts, actually. Well, Lauren, you're in the Jake spot, so I think technically you're oh, the guest really? host. Yes. Sorry, Christian. Oh. You got Christian got the feature, but you got the guest host role. So uh, you also are going to have to show Christian the ropes because you're an off nominal, uh, legendary alumni member. I would say you've been on wow. a lot, I've... but Christian has this is his first time. So how's it going? Great. Happy to be here. It's like to be here with uh, Lauren. She deserves that seat. You know, she's a pro. <laughs> we also needed the wire oh, framing you. down there for your epic backdrop. Let's be yes. real. As we discussed, so. this is, it's still a work in progress. Actually, I've noticed this plant. I had to throw the plant oh. away. Those are real, pl they're eventually. All real plants. They're not fake plants. Those are real plants. Yes. Wow. The, the As you can see, the area gets a lot of light. So I just got to find the right plants that thrive in this environment. But it's a, it's an, Ever, ever it's a fast-paced environment. Growing process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, what are we doing this show? Lauren, is your private bartender back with your drink yet? Yeah, he just dropped it off, and I asked him what the name was, and he said it was called The Cosmonaut, which I think is so <laughs> appropriate for this week. I have absolutely no idea what's in it, so we're going to find out together. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun game. Mystery There's drinks. a grape. There's a grape there in here. So there definitely should be vodka in there. I think there's absolutely going to be just vodka. vodka and a single grape. <laughs> oh, it's delightful. It's definitely a vodka drink. I wish I had a better palate so I could tell you what I'm tasting, but I don't know. It's sugary and uh, fun. <laughs> Kristen, did you? I can get uh, you the recipe. Yeah, the cosmonaut recipe. Kristen, did you pop anything special open? I got a DC. What DC? Yeah, and I apologize. I realize I'm doing this all wrong because I have like a whole thing of fake flowers here, mm. but that it's out of sight. So I'm put that in the background. Really, yeah, not doing that right. I uh, went with the classic yeah. gin and tonic. Nice. So it's kind of like a cosmonaut, but might be. We don't but know. We don't actually know. There could be gin in yours. No, I refuse to drink gin. Okay. And hopefully oh. my husband knows that after <laughs> 10 years of being together. Well, this I was about to go really dark and say if, if the Long March <laughs> 5V reentry goes wrong, it might be the last one. <laughs> I, <laughs> a very dark start. To, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, are you tired of the, the Long March stories at this point? Not me. Uh, actually, I feel like I missed out because I was on book leave last year when the news cycle was at its craziest. Mm. So I didn't really get to participate. And so now I'm like, kind of like, yeah, let's go. But I don't think it's as people aren't as hand wavy this time around. So I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> it does feel different than last time. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe felt, people learned, <laughs> you yeah, know, I like guess. maybe we they read all the stories The first time was a surprise. The second time was there was a lot of explanation. And now it's just like, yeah, they still are doing it. 
Right. It's what they do. Yeah. There's, yeah. People get, I mean, people like lose interest pretty quick. So this one should be interesting though. There's like legitimate pieces of these have come down before. I always find that interesting, right? Because it's it's like, oh, I don't know. People are like, look at how many Starlinks get deorbited, or look how many we've seen the images of like set of Falcon Nine upper stages coming back in, right? But like this one, like lands long pieces of metal on houses. Well, and I feel like too the last time NASA that like Bill Nelson put out a statement, um, didn't he? I don't think he said anything this time too. I mean, he hasn't sort of raised awareness of it. Not yet. He did. I did just get his statement on the chips, <laughs> the chips act that just passed, but nothing on the non, nothing on the booster. Usually, it takes a couple of days though. Last time, even it was like pretty late. I don't know. I was looking, and it was on the day that it was supposed to. I couldn't figure out the exact timing, but it, I think it was the same day that it was deorbited. So oh. it was around the same time. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'm mistaking it with um, the whole ISS situation where it took them like a week to be like, not cool to bring those flags to the ISS. I don't know. Right. There's been slow responses to those things, but I think I might just be crossing my geopolitical streams here. No, and I think when it comes to like commenting on another country, you know, th- he's going to want to go to the White House or the State Department. Like there are a lot of you know, boxes to check. I, f- I feel like he's a former mm-hmm. Senator. He's got to be careful. I bet that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the shtick. We had, we had Eric Berger on a couple weeks ago with a big debate on like, is Bill Nelson a good administrator or not? Um, Oh, I don't know if anyone has opinions, but I feel like <laughs> it, it is good that there is somebody that can navigate like political situations, but it is a an extremely sluggish navigation of them especially with the iss situation lately it's like i don't know it just it the sluggishness has me sad many times i think what i will say is going all the way back to jim bridenstine's uh nomination and how everyone was in an uproar about that because he didn't have a science background i think it's becoming more clear that a politician in charge is pretty useful in a lot of areas just because it is a very political job and you, you know, so I will hand it, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. I think he does do a lot when it comes to the behind the scenes work. Um, but yes, in, in terms of me and my daily reporting life, I am frequently frustrated with the time frame that it takes for, um, statements to come out for yeah. sure. I don't they know. Do, Chris, they do Chris, come out on like SpaceX once, but <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but that that's such a good point because I mean Jim took so much flack for being a politician, you know, and he and he has a background, he has a precedent and track record for ways he's voted. You know his, you know, I remember his confirmation like it came down to one vote, and people thought like the vice president was going to go out, have to be there and break the tie, and finally he got it. And I think it's fair to say he was an effective leader in large part because of his political contacts. Um, and I, and I think the same is true with Nelson as well. Um, he doesn't communicate as much and is sort of out there the way that, that Jim is, but kind of have to think that behind the scenes he's doing that. Yeah, the, Jim was like the better spokesperson for like the newer side of the industry that cared about new things, whereas like they both knew how to navigate the backroom dealings, right? And And... Arguably, that's more important now because, like, the congressional pork is back back in action. Um, 
So like Nelson definitely knows. I mean, even with the James Webb stuff that went around where they had this like really bizarre event that night before all the images were released. But like having the political savvy to know like, oh, this is a good bone to throw the administration when I can like get into a conversation about. Yeah, this was over budget, but look at these amazing images and, and maybe we can get a little extra and get more support for the next telescope. Like you can capitalize on the on the good parts if you know who to invite to the right meetings is probably a huge part of what's going on. I don't know. You're as someone from the Washington Post, definitely closer to the right circles to like know how these invite lists get made, but that feels like a huge part of it. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like being NASA administrators, like being the president of a university, your job is to give speeches and to raise money, except for NASA, you're raising money in the form of dealing with Congress, getting appropriations, dealing with the White House. Um, and I think he's pretty effective at that. I mean, Jim certainly was. Um, you know, and the other thing that came up that was interesting when the images from the Webb telescope were released, and obviously that was something that, you know, uh, Biden did, and there's all this controversy, you know, should that have been the president? Should, should that have been sort of a scientist or an engineer? Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that it rose to the level of the president. I mean, that gives it a gives a microphone, you know, that is pretty loud. And I heard from Republicans even who were like, no, 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 that was that was the right call. And I think Nelson helped facilitate that for sure. I actually think it's weird that Biden wasn't involved even earlier. I think that was kind of more of my surprise is that it was such a last minute addition when I feel like it just, it would have, it made sense. This was such a slam dunk that I would have thought that Biden would have wanted to, to be involved earlier than I think we got the notice on Sunday <laughs> that it was going to change to that Monday, the Monday announcement. Yeah. And I mean, think of everything that's going on with inflation. Uh, the pandemic is still, there's all this bad news all the time. And it's like, come on, come on over to the space world. Like, you know, well, we, we talking about the future and it's optimistic and, you know, like web was amazing, you know, like embrace that. There's nothing like a space picture that brings all of my friends out of the, the woodworks who are not space people to text me and be like, Oh my God, have you seen this? And like, not only have I seen it, I've been reporting on it for the last <laughs> and seven it's my years. Birthday, so give me a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weirdest oh, birthday man. ever. Has to be. Um, no. <laughs> well, in, ter uh -oh. in terms of uh, <laughs> uh -oh. in terms of space, space getting in, in the way of my life. I remember I I went all the way to DC once on my birthday for a Moon Express announcement and oh, man. that was a that was an odyssey of a day and I should have just stayed home. <laughs> but uh we, that's another that's another The time. only express um, slower than Excella is Moon Express. <laughs> That's a Northeast Corridor joke it. for you said everyone. It, not me. <laughs> for everyone out there listening in the Northeast Corridor, that's a joke for you in particular. But <laughs> Moon Express, man, what a throwback! I know. Yeah. I haven't heard a peep from them lately. Wonder what's going on there. I don't know. That brings up this whole clip situation. This uh, commercial lunar payload services. Um, this is like only been reported. I think Parabolic Arc is the only one publishing a lot about it yet on mast in space uh seemingly going under at this point i don't know if either of you two were keeping tabs on this but uh program's like in a pretty precarious spot right now i would say uh because they've got a lot of eggs in the basket of like intuitive machines has three flights astrobotics got two vipers getting delayed a year it's 
costing like half a billion dollars. I I don't know if if this is like in inside the Beltway, uh, our our off nominal source inside the Beltway. Like, how much of that is that ever going to attract the wrong kind of attention in political circles where some a program starts creeping up to like having a B in it? You know, oh, you're getting close to a half a billion now, and it's, when does it attract bad attention? Because for a while, Clips was like under the radar, and that was a good thing, but I feel like it's not keeping that status. Well, do you remember, Lauren, there was a press conference and Dr. Zerbukin, like said from the beginning when they announced Clips, and he, he said, we're going to take shots on goal. And sometimes gonna we're going to make the shot, sometimes we're not. And he was very clear from the beginning that you know, we're going to try, we're going to fail, we're going to move fast. And I guess it's debatable whether they're moving as fast as they wanted to. Um, and clearly they were talking in that context of, you know, having missions that didn't quite work out, uh, as opposed to companies not working out. But I think that's just part of it. Um, you know, companies like Mastin and, and Moon Express are that they try, but they're, you know, maybe the money is drying up. The NASA wants to be there to support them, but, you know, they can't lift up every single company. And then, you know, in this new sort of commercial space industry, there are going to be companies that thrive and companies that go under. And that's just capitalism, right? That's, I mean, that's not a sign that, you know, that the program doesn't work or that the economy is, you know, floundering. It just means that some are going to make it, some don't. The the people at, you know, at Mass, I think there's a lot of talent there. I remember visiting those guys in Mojave years ago and they're like in some garage and it was like two doors over from X-Core, you know, since we're doing blast to the past, and, you know, <laughs> the boneyard of, of old new space. And the, and which is right next to the, the real boneyard, but you know, those, there's some, some real talent there and can't help but think that they'll have no problem, like, like finding jobs and they'll be, you know, just sucked up elsewhere for sure. The way I've always thought about clips is it's kind of like a nice to have. I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, the way they um, advertise it, it's definitely, you know, fully in the Artemis program, but it's very clear that the focus is on, you know, SLS, Orion, Starship. So yeah, what you said, what you had mentioned about what Zerbukin said, like it's always kind of been an experimental thing in my mind. And I think because the numbers are low enough, I mean, they're, high for anything you and I will ever see in our lifetime, but low enough in terms of, you know, do we need a congressional inquiry into this situation? You know, I, I can't imagine it's that high on any lawmakers radar, but perhaps I'm wrong. Well, the little, okay. I should further explain the Viper's inclusion in clips or the attachment of Viper to clips is what makes me nervous because the other ones are $70 million missions. Right. And it was, like we're gonna buy part of this flight you're gonna have to find other customers to to get to your final number because 70 million dollars these things are flying on falcon 9 like there's not a lot of room left in your budget for a moon lander if you're having to also buy a falcon 9 flight for that so right viper and viper gets added and, do you have a viper no i'm just gonna say vipers <laughs> no kind of contradicting what i just said viper kind of elevated things a little bit because it does feel a little more essential to the artemis yeah the entire you know, Artemis mission because it is looking for resources that we would potentially use in the future. So that seems a little more vital. And uh, I think Eric didn't, Eric had a, of a story about how people weren't necessarily happy about uh, Viper being a Eclipse mission. So, 
you know, uh, I think with each step that they take, maybe it'll get more visibility, but, um, we're also so far away from the whole sustainable part of Artemis <laughs> that, um, I think Viper's delay is not super detrimental yeah. to what they're working toward right now. Uh, yeah. And I guess I'm more worried about the way that Viper got included in Eclipse being significantly different than the other ones. Um, having like bad backlash against the smaller missions because now we can point to this half billion dollar mission that's still delayed and like it has to go right. Whereas the other ones are, you know, okay, well, some of these companies are going to fail. Some are going to fail when they get to the moon. Um, but this is like, they're delaying it for testing so that it goes right. And it just, it is completely at odds with like the original idea behind clips. And I, like, they basically just, you know, freighted the concept of clips, uh, or freighted the concept of Viper into clips so that no one would pay attention. And so I'm like, is this going to sabotage everything? I don't know, but. One one of the things I heard about it was that, and Jim did this by design and is a little inside baseball and I'm not a hundred percent sure this is accurate, but I'm pretty sure is that what Brian did was he put clips specifically not in HEO in the human exploration, you know, mission to operation director. He put that in science for a reason uh, for a couple of reasons, actually to make HEO and science sort of they're joined at the hip on this. And I think it makes it harder to kill too, if it's a science mission. And that was, you know, when we talk about the benefits of having a, a politician, he was, he was thinking about that when he did that. At least that's what I've heard. I think that was extremely smart just because there has always been this division between the human spaceflight initiative and the science directorate. And I think sometimes the others don't see the other one as necessary. And so by combining it, you know, I think it makes it more of a one big NASA family more so than before. I'm trying to pull up images of the get along shirt uh, meme. Have you ever seen the get along shirt meme? It's no. Like the, the two kids in the, in the get along shirt. Oh. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> this is, this is a uh, HEO in science with clips. <laughs> or, or it looks like my kids. So that, that could, I could buy that. <laughs> um, on the topic of human space flight, uh, I'm looking at my watch here. It is July 28th, and boy howdy, we aren't a month and a day away from a projected Artemis one launch date. Uh, how did we get here? Like, where where are we at on this? You guys feeling confident about it? Are you feeling weird about how I'm, the wet dress rehearsal ended? I'm weirdly feeling confident about it. I I did feel weird about how the wet dress rehearsal ended, but I was I was surprised that they decided they were done. But um, I. It, all indications I'm getting are that the date is sticking at the moment. So, but of course, you know, there's still a whole month for something crazy to yeah. happen. So like when I say confidence level, I'm at like 50% maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I bought my plane ticket today. I've had a hotel for a while, but I bought the plane ticket, um, you know, got that where you can change it, you know, whatever level of the <laughs> ticket that you can change it with. I could see them going out on the 29th for sure. I don't think they're going to launch on the 29th. I think they're going to push to what, what are the next dates? September Labor 2nd, Day, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course down there for Labor Day, but I, I don't think they'll go on that first date. I mean, given everything that happened with the wet dress rehearsal, I don't see them getting through a, a smooth countdown. I think they're going to use like the launch, at least the first attempt or the you know first couple attempts as, as tests to kind of run through the procedures and see how it goes. 
Yeah, I could see that. Also, because that would be the most annoying situation for us because we would be there <laughs> the 29th and then we'd have to wait three days for the next attempt. So that makes right. sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, it's going to be like really, really hot. At least it's not a three in yeah. the morning though. That's so, true. That's yeah. true. All of, the, all of the launch times are reasonable, which is a you know true, true anomaly. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that word. <laughs> Hopefully, the only kind. I uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm feeling. I don't feel. I'm not mad at them for the way that they ended the wet dress rehearsal, but I am mad at them for some of the quotes I've seen going around from different people within NASA saying how. We successfully completed the wet dress rehearsal and we're looking all good for the launch. I'm like, like you had to do a bunch of stuff in the VAB to like finish your tests or finish. I guess it was on the launch pad where they were still finishing a test or two. When do your launch aborts happen? If not for weather, like T minus six, you know, it's never T minus 47. Oh, we have a hold and we're going to abort today. It's always like right when you're just about to be excited that your plan's actually working out and you're launching that day and you don't have to move your flight home. And so the fact that they didn't even approach that time period just is like, I don't feel great about it. It's funny, like on the one hand, NASA's always criticized for being too cautious, too methodical, too bureaucratic, too slow. And here they are kind of, it seems like there's like a real sense of urgency. Like they're going for it. Like you're right. They didn't finish everything, but they're like, Let's not like, you know, make, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's good enough. And we feel like we've got enough data. So let's just do it. Let's, you know, light the candle and go. And like, in a way, it's very un-NASA and that they're kind of trying to move fast. So, yeah, I mean, could that present problems down the road? Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting that they're moving this way. Mm-hmm. I think the timing is also interesting because we are very close. Well, presumably we are closer to a Starship launch at the same time. So, you know, having these launches almost back to back would be very politically interesting to see. I don't know if that's playing into the motivation at all to, you know, move up, but it will be interesting depending on the outcomes of both launches and exactly when they launch in relation to each other, you know, what people will be saying and and what kind of message that sends to the, to the lawmakers and in charge. Yeah. Well, two things on that one, I think some of the time pressure that you're talking about Christian is like, it's a bad situation for SLS in the way that these launch windows lay out, because if they roll out to the pad and don't, they, they go for these launch attempts, but they don't launch. Because of the way they have to roll back to the VAB, reload the flight termination system, get everything closed out again for launch, they can't make the late September window. They would have to skip all the way to October. So if you're not doing everything you can to meet that first window that you have, you're waiting another two months, which is, it's just like, it's a factor of never really considering this vehicle to launch more frequently than like, their goal is once a year eventually <laughs> it's like i don't know those are, that's another thing that no one ever intentionally designed that way but the limits that it places upon you operationally is kind of horrible and no one's going to dig that down like down that deep in the details other than us three and some people that are watching right now nobody really cares at that level but it's not a good sign in terms of like the day-to-day operations that you're having to make decisions because there's such long lead times between different events that that I feel like puts more pressure on let's make sure we get this first attempt even in the realm of possibility because 
if we end up making the first attempt September 2nd, we've got like one shot at this thing before we've got a two month stand down. Yeah, that's a great point. I also wonder great... if. I was just going to say, I also wonder if they looked at their schedule for like what it would take to do a full, you know, wet dress rehearsal again. And what if that pushed them into a like later time frame? You know, if that may if that kind of schedule factored into it too, um, and maybe like the benefits of doing that wet dress rehearsal probably probably were diminishing in that point. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of what they would get and whether whether or not it was worth pushing the schedule back even further. Yeah, to get the extra ten seconds of data because it's like, okay, what if we go out and we here's an idea. Let's do another wet dress rehearsal. But if it works, let's just turn on the engines. <laughs> Essentially, what they're doing, right? Like, we got we got. We know the whole vehicle works. We could load all the propellant in. We were had full control of the vehicle. So if we can fix this leak and we can do that thing and we get to T0, then let's party and take vacation around the holidays. That sounds great. So it's not the worst. Um, but what you were saying, Lauren, about the, the convergence of Starship and SLS, um, I think in, a, in an era two years ago, if this launch happened two years ago, that could be the storyline. But uh, Starship is like dependent on SLS existing right now to the extent that they're getting a lot of money from NASA um, to develop Starship because of the program that exists because of SLS. So it can't straight up be like a this or that competition anymore. Even if SpaceX feels that internally, even if we feel that internally, like they can't just Elon can't stand in front of Starship launching and be like throwing middle fingers up saying like this is the thing, not SLS, right? Like because he, he has to now play the NASA game that. If I want astronauts to go on this ship and land on the moon, they have to get there by way of SLS because that's how it is. It makes it a really interesting, uh, like they're going to be seen much more complimentary, or they should be anyway, um, than they would have if this was two years ago and SpaceX had not been selected for human landing system. I think in the short term, yes, but in the long term, it's going to be, it It just, I mean, and it all depends on Starship's performance and if what Elon promises actually, you know, manifest. Uh, but I think long-term it would be politically harder to justify, but yes, I agree. They are full in front of me territory at the moment because <laughs> of the HLS contract. And so the, I find that it'd be a, a very funny position for everybody to be in. Sorry, I'm writing down the title real quick. On that long-term I don't know if you guys caught it, but um, Representative Adderholt from Alabama gave this speech at ISS RDC uh, yesterday. And it was like, you know, he's just usually all in SLS. That's like, you know, like Senator Shelby, Acolyte, all SLS all the time. And he gave the speech. It was much more, you know, broad about so much going on in space and even sort of address the old space, new space thing. And, I, you know, I'm looking at that. I'm just sort of wondering how the commercial space sector, SpaceX sort of received that, that, you know, this SLS backer is now trying to embrace commercial space, which he sort of came out and said he was going to do. But then in the long term, what Lauren's talking about when SLS, whatever, however, however much it costs a lot, whether it's 4 billion or 2 billion or 1 billion, whatever that number is, and however you slice that, but it's once a year. And if Starship is realized to its full potential, and is you know much much less expensive and can fly at a higher cadence, and makes SLS irrelevant. You know how that all plays out because then it sort of then there is a political situation where you're like it's un, it's untenable. It's just untenable. And even Jim Bridenstine, you know, when asked about that, would be like, well, 
let's wait and see what what happens in the future. Right now, it's not launching, but so we're committed to SLS. But I think that's going to be fascinating, and that may come, I don't know, like sooner than people think. What do you think? Because I was thinking we're stuck with SLS to at least Artemis four, you know, but beyond well, that, right? No, I think that's I think that's about right. I think that's about right. That's a fun little bet. Like, what's the first numbered <laughs> Artemis flight that flies on a thing that is an SLS? <laughs> Don't even make it Starship oh. specific. Just generally, does the name last long? Because you're it's like multi layered bet. Does the name last long enough to have numbered flights that high? Does whatever else is flying last long enough to have numbered flights on it? That's a many-layered bet. Yeah. I don't know. Artemis, well, that's the whole other aspect about like the, the time delay between these Artemis flights is gigantic. Um, like the, the, the thing that's annoying me the most is this gap between Artemis 1 and 2. Um, I haven't yet done my homework, again, on that Eric Berger show that we had recently. Uh, we were comparing where... The core stages for uh, Artemis 2 to where the core stage was for Artemis 1 at the same time, right? Like, how far, you know, where are they at tracking to, they're going to deliver the core stage in the spring? How far is that from what the launch date should be? But there's this huge gap that's in this schedule because they're going to be reusing a bunch of components out of Orion uh, on the next flight. And what's driving me nuts is, like, if you, at the time, you know, there's been money going to Orion this whole time. It's been clear that SLS is holding up first Orion's flight. Could we have not like grabbed parts from somewhere else on a production line to pull the second one forward and have this time gap between Artemis one and two shortened? Or are we really stuck with this like almost three year gap, whatever it's two, two in a couple of months or something like that. That's what's driving me nuts because that's like a lifetime in space world. Well, you know how it goes whenever you have to change a decision like that goes through many managers yeah. and hierarchies and whatnot. Um, but what I wonder about is, you know, I think back to that Jeopardy question about Artemis that nobody uh, was able to answer. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, and how I don't think anybody that I know outside of the space world really has any kind of concept of what uh, Artemis is. And so what is it going to do for the public consciousness of this program if they launch this year and then it's, you know, two more years before the next one launches? Like, you know, maybe that's not such a, a huge problem, but it definitely isn't going to help elevate this program to, yeah. you know, a nationally beloved program. Yeah, yeah there's not going to be a lot it- of SLS t-shirts in like Gen Pop the way there are shuttle t-shirts. No. <laughs> I think it is a huge problem having that delay. I mean, I, I, it's, it, well, I wonder a couple of things first, like, will people care about Artemis one? Will that be a thing like demo two with Bob and Doug I actually do feel like that for a moment, like got through to people um, and really sort of entered mainstream culture and the public's consciousness. Um, and it was sort of a great thing that happened in the middle of, you know, the George Floyd and all that, like here's a ray and, and the pandemic, but like, you know, an uncrewed mission in orbit around the moon. I mean, for us, this is huge. Right. And it's like the, one of the first things we're talking about, but a, will people care about that? And even if they do, they're like, okay, that's cool. Like, so when are we now, when's the next one? And yeah. then they're like, Oh, it's two years away. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, think people that's are going to be confused. 
Yeah, I think it's a real problem. Um, yeah, I just like, I think just we're going to, you and me, Christian are going to have a hard time describing like why people aren't on this particular rocket. I think that's going to be something that we deal with in the, over the next month. Yeah. Do you remember the hot minute where there might've been people on this flight? Boy, do I, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of forgot about that for a minute. Yeah. That was like, oh yeah. It was EM one at the time. It had a bad name. Yeah. Oh my god! I forgot wow. about that. I forgot about. I forgot about yeah. EM one. <laughs> Why was that going to happen? Why was it all of a sudden important to put people on this just for fun? Just because that's how our dads did it when they flew the shuttle, and that's how their dads did it before them, and the good old boys down there want to just put the boys on the rocket. Is that what it was? I think it was a very political move because I think once it with I think it was right thing. after Trump. Trump had just taken office and they were looking for a a very visible win that they could say that they did. And um, I think back then, what maybe it was like a 2019 launch date or something crazy like that, you know, (laughs) back when we thought it was going to launch before 2020. So I think that was why they were hoping to expedite that because it would have happened in the first term. But that is all speculation. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Robert Lightfoot is the one that sent that memo. That was a real right. moment in time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. didn't Gerst is the one who killed that? I think if I remember, mm-hmm. Gerst. Ah, oh, that's just not. Or they did a study. They did a big study about it, and then ultimately we're like, no, we can't. And they were that. like, no. That was the one where maybe we'll fly Orion on Falcon Heavy, or you know, I think it was all in that same era, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that came that came under Bridenstine though, when they were thinking of oh, that flying was like another Orion year on later then. Yeah, I remember wild... because he casu- he casually announced it during some congressional meeting That's that right. I was falling asleep. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> this just got really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing would have been different if there was. Uh, I don't know. OK, let's run that. If people were on this, then what? Like we're still in just as bad a situation. The next flight's just as far away. I guess you could do something well, you can't really do anything different with it, though, because that's still the little upper stage. Yeah, and they aren't landing, so I think that would also confuse people about why they're just slingshotting around the moon. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have more to say no. beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, well, it's an interesting thought process. So if there were astronauts on it, that would put, I mean, I'm just thinking like politically, that would put a human face on it. You know, you'd have whoever it was like, you know, uh, Victor Glover and yes, Christina. Make Cook, it Victor Glover. You know, yes. You know, God, like, so, and that's another, like, I know they haven't announced it, but Victor's, he's got to be on the Artemis three mission, right? It's going to be Victor. 100%. And oh, Jessica that dude's Mir. been having his guns out next to Starship yeah. like for months and on end. Jessica, he's been basically Jessica like a, a TikTok influencer down at Starbase, just posting. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And I, I I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, that's Jessica Mir or Christina Cook. Mm. Oh, you think it's one. Jessica Mir? I was thinking Jessica Watkins would be the one. Um, the flight but, experience. Hmm. Yeah, but you know you. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> it's a while away. That's a couple of years. Man. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry for that little trip down memory lane. Um, I have two other things on my mind. Uh, number one, should we? do we guys want to talk about Mars sample return at all? And these heli- helicopter rovers 
that happened? Sure. Okay. I'm first. I'm going to pull up this picture because this is a hilarious picture for me. Um, because it definitely just looks like they just straight up drew wheels on ingenuity. They just like cut, <laughs> cut and paste half width perseverance wheels, put it on ingenuity and ship this. <laughs> I don't know. This is almost 100% not what this thing is going to look like. I'm taking I'm taking bets on that. But this is a very cool announcement. I'm pumped about this. Do you have any uh, takes from how we should see this announcement? I support the more helicopters. Like you always think of NASA as like they're stuck in their ways and they're going to do it. And they have like you have SLS. This is this rocket on this legacy technology. It's been in development for more than a decade. And they're like, this is it. And yet here they're like, actually, wait, <laughs> ingenuity. Like, we, why don't we use that and throw out all the plans and improvise, adapt, overcome? I mean, I, you know, I, I love that, that they're like, being nimble and flexible and adapting to new technologies and circumstances. So I think it's, I think just from like the philosophical standpoint of NASA's thinking, I think that's, you know, that changes. And, and I, you know, I'm being somewhat critical of them. I think they actually do that a lot, much more than they get credit for um, because obviously, you know, they've had a huge success, you know, track record in, in landing on Mars. But I, I thought that was really cool that they're like, no, we have a, there's a better path. And this is the way. And so now we're going to do it this way. I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of when these things will actually launch, you know, granted, perseverance was on time, but are we really going to be on time with this 2028? I believe that was the the projected launch date for the lander with the, the Mars Ascent vehicle on top of it. So, you know, if there are when, whenever you delay a Mars mission, that's two years that you have to wait, and that extends things even more beyond the ten years that you know Curiosity has been on the surface. So, I is it optimistic to think that we will be sending the vehicles on time in twenty twenty eight, or is that like a reasonable time frame? And are will perseverance that- actually last that long? Yeah. Okay. So that's the thing is that. They're because they're ditching some of the samples on the surface in one spot. And then I think they said if if something went downhill with perseverance, they could drop the rest of them out on the surface. So like worst case scenario, I hope there's a big red button that's just like eject samples in case anything starts going down and they're like, we gotta get these out. Um Yeah, I mean that's definitely a risk when you're Taking well, there's there's like multiple multiple layers to this too because it's the European side of of uh, the sample return that's also involved on this part, right? Where Perseverance is there doing its thing, but now we've got a sent vehicle, a return orbiter, two. I mean, the fact that they're putting two helicopters on the fetch part is like okay. So we're really worried about redundancy on these things. They've got wheels because we're not confident we can land right over one of these samples. Um, but it's also a really far it's really far away like they could hypothetically use ingenuity now to test some stuff out if they had any unanswered questions that they hadn't gotten to yet on these initial flights of like what are the performance characteristics what can we can we refine some of our models so that when we go to build these things you know they have a couple years before they really need to start cutting metal for these helicopters so that's correct me if i'm wrong is it not it's not funded yet right like there's no budget for this or is it? I, uh, I, thought that was, the, I think the last kind of time there was more sample return budget in last year's. Um, okay, so it is in there. 
now here's the 4d chess part of it um I don't know if you two have heard, but there's a European Mars rover that currently does not have a way to land on Mars. Uh, this was going to have previously there was going to be two landers going down to Mars, one for the ascent vehicle, one for a fetch rover. Now there's just one lander. Hypothetically, there is probably not hardware yet. At least Jake tells me there's not hardware yet, but there may be budget opening up for what was supposed to be a lander to take a rover to the surface to be a different lander that takes a different rover to the surface. So I wonder I think if they this is rearranging. That. Did they mention something in there? I think they mentioned something like that, but don't quote me on it. Um, but I, I remember there was talk about the Rosalind Franklin rover during the, the press call on Wednesday. So that is floating in the air yeah. for sure. But if this is a way, like, you know, Christian, what you're saying is that let's use some learnings of like this awesome new thing that we have on Mars and... We can make the sample return program better, more efficient, uh, but also open up some budget to, you know, stick it to the Russians and take this rover to, down to the surface of Mars. Like, that's got to be a huge point of pride for many people to be like, no, we got to get this rover to Mars just to make a point. Like, I don't know. There's got to be people motivated to do that as well. I am personally, and I have no involvement on this mission. So. Well, and just the the head the headline on the press release you know, wasn't, it wasn't, it was like a very, I mean, it, it was a uh, NASA will inspire the world. I mean, it was, <laughs> that's what it was about, right? You know, it, it wasn't about oh, the of a new architecture. It was like, we're going to inspire the world. So yeah. Yeah. There it is. Mike Pence <laughs> wrote right. this headline personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made a joke about that with somebody. I was like, Lauren Grush will inspire the world when she eats lunch today or something <laughs> like, like I was like, I can't write that headline for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not wrong, but definitely like could have had a better headline here. So. <laughs> oh, man. Should we talk about the Russians since I just mentioned them and this ISS situation? Hmm. Um, Though, is it a situation? <laughs> no, this one isn't. But I just want more people on the record of uh, of about how quickly we should bail on the Russians being involved in the space station, even if they're not going to do it themselves. Because <laughs> I've been on about this forever. And every time one of these situations comes up, I'm just like, God, we got to get we got to figure this out. Um, we'll sideset that one for a minute. And I don't know. I just feel like it's it would be irresponsible if there were not a couple of people at Johnson Space Center working on whatever plan would be necessary to replace the Russian segment tomorrow, just in case the hardware itself failed, but also just in case more chaos ensues for the next eight years. Uh, I believe uh, Wayne Hale said the same thing at an advisory council meeting back when the war began. Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, just to be, you know, we got to do our due diligence here because of what they were saying. But I haven't heard any movement on that, seen any movement on that. I think I think the way NASA is operating, they just very much want this to keep working. And until they hear any kind of official notice, you know, they're just going to keep the status quo going. But I think you're right. I think there's, we should, NASA is good at planning every kind of contingency. And this seems like a pretty big, important contingency yeah. to plan for. Yeah. So, so I've heard that, yes, they are. Those discussions have been going on for a long time. There's all kinds of planning. They don't want to talk about it publicly just because of the signal that sends to Russia, right? They, they don't want to send that signal publicly that, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're totally ready to go without you um, because that's we're not what they want. We're also going to leave after 2024. <laughs> 
they just they want to keep it going. That's the simplest thing to have the partnership continue. Um, but yeah, no, they are they are totally do that and looking at ways to boost the station, whether it's with Dragon or Cygnus. Um, although I, I'm told that's actually it's really difficult to do with that, that they just don't have the performance for those vehicles to give the station what it needs, particularly the fact that it's got to maneuver so much these days to avoid debris, uh, let alone just the regular sort of orbit keeping that they have to stay in. So um, they really don't want this to go away. And now, so, so they're just like being very quiet about it. Yeah, it's a tough balance because if you're NASA, like this is your best opportunity to use the situation to play politics to get funding for commercial LEO development. But you can't let that get out into the public and start rabble rousing in the way of whoever the head of Roscosmos is at any given moment. So I don't know. I guess maybe they're not even motivated to use that in political circles to, you know, get some extra funding because it doesn't look like it in the budget line items. But maybe that's something else that you can go to dinner at the right place, Christian, and like overhear them. Give it well, someone well, some ear on it. <laughs> so it's interesting because Mike Gold, who's at Redwire uh, now, you know, and is part of um, uh, one of the teams that are building the commercial stations. It was like full on talking at our uh, ISS RDC saying like, oh, well, this just shows you why we need more commercial participation and maybe not with the commercial, you know, free flyers, but actually more commercial help on ISS. So he, he jumped right into that lane right away. And like, you know, with both feet, you're like, oh, this could be really commercial. Yeah. Always be closing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I didn't expect the new head of Roscosmos to immediately step in dog poop uh, in the way that happened this last week. <laughs> I thought Rogozin heading out would like chill things out a little bit. This new guy doesn't have a Twitter feed, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know if anyone's I think discovered. He's a bit of an, I think he's a bit of an unknown entity for for yeah. you know the space reporting world. So uh, because he was a new player and setting saying these things, I think maybe people took that as more legitimacy, you know, but ultimately you got to read into the, the way these things are phrased, right? The decision was made after yeah. 2024, you know, after so many threats to leave the ISS, it just kind of went with the general playbook yeah. of how these things normally go. It seemed like somebody copy and pasted a line out of like the, whoever did the report last time they were like, Oh, just reuse that part. Cause that was less than a year ago when we submitted the report on what our plans are. And, uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't expect anything else out of whoever's in charge of Roscosmos. Like, I'm not super hopeful that the new guy is going to be a lot different than Rogozin was. Um, but it, I think if he's less publicly antagonistic beyond this, that would be helpful for NASA to like stay out of the way and not have. Because every time one of these situations comes up, like, you know, it gets picked up everywhere, and then NASA has to ask answer a bunch of questions about the partnership or why they're working with Russia or random stuff about the war right now. And if there are less opportunities for that, then it just keeps it less, you know, a hot button issue. And then the people that actually work at NASA and Roscosmos can keep flying the space station without being bothered by all this. So hopefully that's how it goes if we want everything to be chill, but I don't know, I guess we'll have to wait to see if uh, Borisov or whatever his name is signs up for a, a really hot Twitter account. 
Yeah, somehow I don't think he'll be antagonizing Elon on Twitter. I think that will be <laughs> offering tea. Yeah. I'm I'm not upset about it. <laughs> oh man. What else are you tracking? Is there anything else uh on your docket of um, things to follow here? Or are you just consumed by Artemis One logistics? That is a big one. We could, well, we did mention it earlier, but, you know, people are literally tracking Long March 5B mm. at the moment. <laughs> so there's that this weekend. That'll be fun. Yeah. Should we um, take bets? Is there like Vegas odds on where this is going to land? It probably is. The Pacific? I have Pacific. A, yeah. <laughs> Last time it was like half an orbit away from landing in New York, though. So I think that was, was that the, was the first second one? one? I think it was the first one. I remember that one go like passed, passed over New York at one point. And I was like, Oh, cause I was in New York at the time. I was like, glad I wasn't aware. <laughs> so it'd be pretty wild. I remember when the, um, was it Chungong one that was deorbiting uncontrolled, like the original space station. Um, I remember seeing that like a, a night pass of that when it was on its way back down. Um, and the the apparent speed of it because of how low it was uh, was unbelievable. Like if you've seen an ISS pass it has kind of a slow, you know, high airplane speed to it based on when you're sideline. But when something is at this height of like 180 to 200 kilometers, it is ripping across the sky. So if you I don't know if some, if anyone has now that we have like a good track on where this thing is, if there are if like heavens above or anyone has uh sighting predictions but if you get a chance to see this thing it's unbelievable I'm, I, I don't know how bright this one is compared to Tongong, but it was like one of the coolest orbiting things i've ever seen in my life so highly yeah, recommended i should pull that up yeah. I, I love the iss tracking like when i have i'm on the alerts and whenever it goes over i take the kids out and watch it it's awesome i actually was able to see a pass in New York city once, which that was really cool. Like I walked out of my office out to in the financial district and was able to spot it overhead, which, you know, in New York is feels like a, a, impossible, but it was, it was bright as, you know, very bright and clear. Did you tell any randos great. about I, it? I was like, I was the only one looking up, you know, cause New Yorkers never look up. And so I was just like, you know, mesmerized by this point of light in the sky and everybody's walking past me thinking, <laughs> No one's going to talk to you. <laughs> what's, yeah. this, what's this lady doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wait. You mentioned the CHIPS Act, Lauren. I haven't really I did. been doing a lot of reading about the CHIPS Act. Is there anything good? Should I know anything about this CHIPS Act as our last segment of the show here? I was looking through it, too. It really, what it feels to me is a lot of, keep doing what you're doing, NASA. <laughs> I don't know. It was a lot of codifying things that NASA is already doing and just making it more official. But that's my, I, it was more of a skimming. So if Christian has more of a take, I'll gladly cede the floor. Well, there was, it was interesting. There was one thing about like, they want to report on the second um, mobile launcher, you know, which is like, you know, gone off the rails and, you know, obviously that would support SLS block one B I don't know. Maybe there's something there just because, you know, SLS obviously has got so much congressional support and yet they're upset about the, the tower. So, you know, that's interesting. I don't know. The thing like that I've, I've been thinking about lately, and this is maybe a little bit off topic, but we spent so much time 
talking about SLS and, and Starship and Orion and all the astronauts. And yet, you know, and, and this is my fault because I don't really write about this stuff. So I've been thinking about it a lot more. It's like the technologies we need to build that sustainable presence. And right, we talk about the science director and we talk about HEO, but we don't talk about like the science technology mission directorate and what they're doing, but they just awarded these contracts, right? The early stage contracts for nuclear fission reactor on the moon and like ISRU and all that stuff. And it's like, I don't think Congress is paying attention. I don't think that's getting the funding. So we can talk about like the core stage for SLS2, where's that? But it's like, I, you know, sustainable presence. Like, I don't, we're like, they're not funding that, you know, the sort of infrastructure stuff, which isn't like as sexy, but it's like, that stuff is really important. And it just feels like that that's not getting the attention it deserves. Well, and that was what got me excited about this whole return to the moon push to begin with was because, you know, the whole, we're not going to just leave flags and footprints on the moon. It was a lot about going sustainably and, I thought, I, I mean, yeah, it became a talking point after a while, but ultimately it seemed like a, a, the way to push things forward if we were to go back to the moon. And that has all but fallen by the wayside, it seems, at least in the public realm, because you're right. Like it, we're kind of just focused on getting there and getting back and just, you know, because SLS has taken so long to come to fruition. So it would be nice to be like, okay, so when we go, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, what what's the plan? Because right now it does seem like the plan is up until Artemis 3, Artemis 4, and then after that it gets murkier. That fission reactor thing was very interesting um, because the first two companies or groups that were awarded was like old space, old nuclear engineering. And then the third one here, I'll zoom way in, was... Uh, a joint venture between Intuitive Machines and X Energy, which are both uh, under the IBX brand, um, which funds Axiom Space, Intuitive Machines, and X Energy. So it's all that same family. So, like, low key, IBX has all of the interesting stuff that's going on in like the next five or 10 years because we, as we're talking about, the space station is in some trouble geopolitically and axiom space is positioned really well for that whole thing but they've got three missions going to the moon with intuitive machines and then this nuclear fission project with a different company i don't know it's like i don't know what's going on over there i don't know how much money they got in the bank i don't know how this is all working out but um i don't know a lot of hope over there so seems like a cool group to keep some tabs on yeah, for sure. That's that's you have good instincts because I think you're right. Like go to, to that. And there, I think there is some you know some stuff happening. It's just not. It hasn't surfaced. It's not at to the public level yet. But you know, just the, the mining and Blue Origin buying was that company Honeybee um, and hiring oh, yeah. up all the ISRU talent and just like I mean like dealing with the regolith and that dust is a huge problem. I mean that's like anyway. And, and well, and we'll have Viper, but now that's delayed. So I don't know. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just being like, we should maybe start paying a little bit more attention to that stuff. I wonder if it would be beneficial to kind of put more of that stuff front and center rather than just, you know, the launching and the, the rockets, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I'm, to I, I, tr I still try to figure out how the, the average person engages with NASA, you know, because I've been in the trenches for so long, but I wonder if that, if, you know, focusing on that kind of stuff would be more beneficial to the 
long-term strategy for Artemis, but or if, or if they're just kind of not focusing on that right now because it's so many years away yeah. and in, in the future. Maybe maybe in a month or two, once Artemis One launches, like let's uh, circle back on that one. <laughs> we'll have plenty of time to think about it. But uh, all right, we're at the end here. Um, is there anything you two want to direct people to, Christian? I don't know if uh, I know you can all read your writing over at Washington Post or anything else that you want to point people to if they do not yet partake in the Christian Davenport universe experience. Yeah, um, I mean that, and 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 and. Twitter, you know, we're all on space Twitter. It's our little, our little family, our little tribe. So uh, check us out. Follow Lauren for sure. Yeah, Lauren, what you got? What you got cooking? Uh, no, just same. Go to my, my. Yeah, I'm on Booster Watch <laughs> this weekend. Um, and yeah, Twitter as well. Though I go and I notice I go in cycles. Sometimes I tweet a lot. Sometimes I'm like, man. <laughs> I'm gonna go hide in the in the shadows. Same, same, same. Um, next week on the show, Jake will be back. He's coming home. Uh, he's traveling home today. We have Dr. Justin Walsh coming on. This one's gonna be awesome. He is uh, co-PI on a project. He's works with Dr. Alice Gorman. They're doing. I don't know if you two have heard of this, but they're doing this ISS archaeological project where they mm. are taking like, or they they use high-res imagery from ISS of, like, different workstations, and they try to research how those areas have changed over time and, like, what they can learn about the way that the space station is used versus how it was designed and the way that people thought it would be used when it was on the ground and then how it's changed now that it's been up there for so long. Uh, I'm pumped for this one. It sounds, like, super nerdy and very interesting. So that'll be next week uh, if you want to check it out. I'm sure it'll be super cool, but uh until then thank you both for joining us today for filling in for jake it's always a pleasure to have you both on <laughs> thanks for having us thank you one two three four five five four three two one end of test